afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and today is another Rogue News. Yes. Anyway, um, there is something that I'm going to have to talk to you guys about, about my last episode. talk to you guys about something very important. Please don't think that after you hear me talking about this that I'm I'm not for the people of Ukraine or the people of Russia, anybody, any person, any any people, any soul that is suffering from the effects of war is the people that I'll stand by always. So, yes, I believe that some of these people in Ukraine, yes, they are suffering from these blasts and stuff like that. The government elites in Ukraine are um, the people I have a problem with. And this is my fault. I'm not retracting anything because I basically told you guys the history of the relationship between Ukraine and Russia and, um, to be honest, I still don't like Putin, but, um, I understand a little bit more now that things started to develop and I should have just waited until, um, I found out some things. Um, I'm not going to, you know, come out and say everything just because I don't know who's listening and I don't want to get in trouble. Um, maybe someday I'll get the guts to talk about it because it does sound like a conspiracy theory and, um, just maybe, but, um, let's just say the government in Ukraine is doing some very illegal things and Putin has decided to specifically target those areas in order to shut down certain businesses that should not be happening. That's all I can say. Um, Whether I judge it as a good movement or a bad movement on his part, mm, I hate war. I don't think... I I don't want war. I don't think God wants war, but I can't speak for God, so... I'm saying that what's happening in Ukraine... The government of Ukraine put it on to the people of that country. The people are paying for that, the government's mistakes. And that's all I can really divulge right now, because um, if I keep talking um, about it, I don't know. Use your imagination. I will say that... A lot of Democrats and a lot of people from the House are actually keeping illegal money in Ukraine. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not mentioning any names because we might be on the verge of war. So, but that's all I can say. But as far as the people go, the people that are enduring all this, 
I love you. Whether you're Ukrainian or Russian, I love you to death. And I will always stand for the people, not the government. So, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, if you still like listening to me after all of that, um, links will be down in the description below. And speaking of Russia and the uh, relationship that America has with that country, Biden has uh, declared something, yeah, he, Biden announces a ban on Russian oil imports. Mm, that's not gonna start a war. Man, he's stupid. Anyway, Joe Biden announces a ban on Russian oil imports, uh, toughening the toll on Russia's economy in retaliation. Wanna defend your money, bro, because that's where you've stored it. Anyway, uh, in the Roosevelt Room at the White House in Washington. Bro, we'll never be like Roosevelt, sorry. <clears throat> Joe Biden officially announced a ban on Russian oil imports as part of his response to Vladimir Putin's ongoing assault on Ukraine. Uh, he detailed the ban on Russian oil, liquefied natural gas, and coal um, during a speech at the White House Tuesday, he said the move targets, yeah, the move targets the main artery of Russia's economy, which he pointed out has cratered amid new sanctions. Biden's decisions will not impact uranium imports from Russia. Um, the U.S. president also called the move another powerful blow to Putin, who uh, whose party is funding this, or his war, through revenue from oil exports. However, Biden acknowledged most of the nation's European allies can't follow the White House's lead for uh, now given the U.S. Pro produces far more oil domestically. But you don't use it. The U.S. produces far more oil. See, now that it conveniences you in order for you to start a war, you decide to go back and... <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. Trump has made the U.S. a self-reliant country, but then... The minute he gets out of office, Biden decides to get oil imports from Russia. But now that his money that's being protected in Ukraine is attacked, he wants to pull that out and do exactly what Trump did so he can be applauded. <laughs> You're stupid! Anyway, the U.S. imports less than 10% of its oil from Russia. Anyway, it appears Biden's White House has been flip-flopping in its position on Russian oil while continuing to oppose American oil production. One America's chief White House correspondent, Chanel Ryan, has more from Washington. And Please work. 
Okay, I can't play that because it's got an ad. Okay, here we go. Let's see if it works. And the Biden White House is flip-flopping on its position on Russian oil while continuing to oppose American oil production. Here's one America's Chanel Rion. At the prospect of hitting Russia where it hurts most, their oil, the Biden White House balked. We don't have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy. Uh, and that would raise prices at the gas pump for the American people uh, around the world um, because it would it's reduce the supply up, available. And it's as simple as less supply raises prices. Meanwhile, lawmakers and critics on both political aisles loudly pushed for a ban. A rare moment diverging from the Biden administration, grounding the Biden White House's opposition to banning Russian oil appeared to be a deep concern for rising gas prices at home. The president is going to do everything we can to reduce the impact. All while downplaying America's reliance on Russian oil. It's only about 10% of what we're importing. Uh, I've not made any announcement about any decision on that front, but our objective here and our focus is making sure that any step we take maximizes the impact on President Putin. The U.S. consumes roughly 700,000 barrels of Russian oil per day. But by Sunday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced the U.S. and its allies were indeed discussing the possibility of banning Russian oil imports. Gas prices have exploded in the 13 months since Biden took office, now approaching nearly $140 a barrel, a dramatic spike from Trump days where oil was, in Trump's last year, $18 a barrel. But Friday, the White House seized the opportunity to blame two weeks of war with Russia for 13 months' worth of Biden policy. The reason why the price of gas is going up is not because of steps the president has taken. They yes, are because President Putin is invading Ukraine. Adding insult to injury to American oil producers is the Biden White House's frantic efforts to court foreign oil producers instead, from dictators to mullahs. Saturday, Biden White House officials met with Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro to discuss lifting sanctions on Venezuelan oil exports. Sunday, Axios reports Biden officials are plotting a trip to Saudi Arabia to beg for more oil. And when asked if America would be open to buying oil from Iran, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg replied, All options are on the table. All options, that is except the American ones. Chanel Vian, One American News, the White House. Want to see more videos like this? Visit- He just dug a hole for himself, and it just might be his grave. Okay, here comes another one about Biden. Biden looks back at Trump presidency for future. So basically, you're just, you know, pulling from the shelf that Trump made. So you could just call it your own. Okay. Joe Biden seems to be taking pages out of Donald Trump's presidential playbook as several policies seem to mirror his predecessors. Uh, during a recent State of the Union address, Biden seemed to change his tune on border security while stressing halting illegal immigration at American su uh, southern border is a top priority. 
Why can't you get Kamala Harris on it, huh? Isn't that her job? She is the border czar. The czar. Good God. You're really gonna use a Russian word to describe a leader for the border. I wanna change that now, stupid. Anyway, during this first year, um... Customs and border protection officials reported more than 2 million migrants illegally crossed the border, while more than 146,000 migrants were resettled across America. Additionally, Biden halted all contacts related to contracts related to the construction of the border wall. Uh, this put a considerable amount of stress on American um, immigration system and forced migrants to be packed in border facilities and didn't have the resources to swiftly process them. However, Biden has been returning to Trump-era policies, including continuing the Title 42 policy enforced by Trump and attempt to stop COVID-positive migrants from entering the country. Excuse me. Uh, Biden now uh, says securing the southern border is imperative. <laughs> okay. Wow. It's a little too late for that, my friend. We need to secure the border and fix immigration system. Good God. Excuse me. Uh, we can do both. Uh, he stated, uh, at our border, we've installed new technology like cutting-edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. Um, we've set up joint patrols with Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. Thing is, sir, um, isn't, you know, sex trafficking and drug trafficking, isn't that what makes America very rich? You know, that makes the White House rich. It makes you rich. It makes you rich enough to, you know, hide all that money in the banks of Ukraine, sir. Is it because you've decided to clean up your act? Is, is, is this the reason? Because you decided to just slap the hand of Russia? I think so. You're trying to make yourself look good now. Now who's wearing the mask? Additionally, Biden is making strong calls to keep schools open. Democrats took immense heat amid the COVID-19 pandemic, with Chicago's mayor facing off against America's most powerful teachers union over uh, shutdowns in districts nationwide, keeping face mask mandates. Uh, Biden has also cap... What is that word? Capitulated uh, to medical assessments saying uh, infection and transmission rates among children are extremely low. Yeah, so why are you trying to vaccinate them? That's been happening too. The Democrat has even echoed America First uh, sentiments while talking about uh, bringing back American manufacturing jobs following a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania late January. The president touted his more-than-infrastructure package, um, 
He said his plan aims to invest in cities and towns across the country in hopes of modernizing them and making them cities of the future. Um, just this month, Biden vowed to uh, shore up resources to fix the supply chain by boosting funds to bring manufacturing jobs back to America and establishing a supply of rare earth minerals independent from foreign partners. He has claimed more American-made products will hit domestic shelves in the future. We'll see, sir. We'll see. We need a future uh, that's made in America, Biden stated. But you still want... Okay. You a hypocrite. That's all I'm gonna say. If you're gonna be a bad guy, at least be, you know, a, be good at being bad and being corrupt. All right. I don't. I don't like somebody that's just a freaking hypocrite that flip flops all the time. Almost exactly a year ago, I issued an executive order to prioritize strengthening our domestic supply chain because when I found out uh, was that. You know, if I was going to follow through on my commitment to say we are going to make it in America and build it in America, have have all of it built in America, we need a supply chain that was that was reliable. See, I'm sorry. Even when he drivels, I lose brain cells. And including critical materials like lithium, graphite, rare earth materials, such as uh, which are badly needed for so many American products. Okay. S still trying to, you know, be a Trump when you can't be one. There's only one. In the meantime, critics lament it's too late for the Biden to for Biden to bridge the gap between Republicans and Democrats. They cited soaring inflation and crime rates plaguing America under his watch, as well as his mistakes in the international arena as a rallying cry behind the GOP in the 2022 midterm elections. Polls surveying voters and Washington insiders are predicting a Republican takeover in the White House of in the I'm sorry in the House of Representatives which could pose an obstacle for Biden to push through his policies. Wow. Dude, you made your bed, you gotta lay in it. Okay, this one's about the Grand High Witch herself. Or, I'm sorry, the Grand Ma Witch. The Grand High Witch is Kamala Harris, but you know, who cares? They're both ugly as heck. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi scoffed at the idea of increasing U.S. domestic oil production as her constituents pay an average of $5 per gallon of gas when America's Jasmine Hovey has more. Okay, yeah, it's a video, so we're just going to play it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi scoffs at the idea of increasing U.S. domestic oil production as her constituents pay an average of $5 per gallon of gas. Here's One America's is Jasmine Huffey. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi continues to justify Joe Biden's restriction of American energy independence. 
During a presser on Thursday, Pelosi was asked how high gas prices need to get before she would support opening up federal lands to drilling. Earlier this week, Pelosi's own city of San Francisco made history as the first U.S. city to ever average $5 a gallon for gas. However, she says this is not enough to get her to support opening up increased domestic oil production, and she shifted blame to the Ukraine crisis. The uh, issue of the price of gas and the price of oil is directly related to what is happening in the Ukraine. The president has already uh, talked about releasing oil from the as he already has done uh, uh, from the spoke and the and and, and I'm not for uh, drilling on public lands. Pelosi did indicate she would support Senator Joe Manchin's measure to ban imports of Russian oil. Meanwhile, on Thursday, everyday Americans at a gas station in California's Bay Area said they are feeling the price increase, with some even calling it quote disturbing. It's so high that it's very difficult to manage. Um, having keys uh, and other stuff to do, plus the gas, is very, very disturbing to a lot of us. It's, it's not been easy, but what can we do? I'm managing by the fact that I had two miles left in my car before I had to go to the gas station. The frustration with the price of the pump does not end in California, as Terry Williams, a North Carolina landscaper, warned gas prices have forced him to raise prices for customers because of increased operation costs. The gas prices going up, it's, of course it affects the business because our mowers, we, we run everything I have runs off gas. And if it's not gas, it's oil mix. We had to adjust our prices. I sent a letter out to uh, pretty much all my customers earlier this year, kind of letting them know, hey, I'm going to, it's been a great ride, but I'm going to have to adjust some of the prices. Meanwhile, Pelosi remains staunchly opposed to increasing domestic oil production, even though gas prices increased by 40% over the past year after Joe Biden shut down Keystone XL pipeline and increased dependency on Russian oil. Mm-hmm. Jasmine Hovey, One American News. Want to see more videos like this? Visit ONN.com. Yeah, um, if you really want the people to love you, Biden which is something that I personally shouldn't give a suggestion but just because I know that he'd just be copying you know, Trump get back on good terms with Canada and use that pump gas has never been cheaper because of that it's time for some news that I find randomly. So, you know, sit tight. Let me know if this is entertaining for you. Just like a little break in between seriousness. <laughs> you know, between politics and world news. Is it is it a good balance? Let me know. Alright, I think it's time to take a break.
Okay, this one is kind of chilling, but also kind of nostalgic, personally for me. Me and my sister would always, like, stay up late to watch Unsolved Mysteries with that one dude with the creepy voice. And it would be so hard for us to go back to bed. <laughs> um, but here are some of the still Unsolved Mysteries from Unsolved Mysteries. So, let's see here. What is the first one? Salem Secrets from 1989. And they have videos? The Oregon State Prison System didn't have a great reputation in the 1980s. Uh, allegations of the employees smuggling drugs behind bars and stealing state property were rampant. To combat the perception of impropriety, then Oregon... Governor Neil Goldschmidt invited Frank or Michael Frank uh, to come in a clampdown in the activity as well as a cure for overcrowding. A problem the, which was a problem in the facilities. Okay. Uh, Frank, who had previously worked with within the New Mexico prison system, had a reputation for doing things by the book. He spent two years slowly building his case, but before he was able to point the finger at anyone publicly, he was found dead outside of his office in Salem on January 17, 1989, a victim of a knife-wielding assailant who had pierced his heart. Police proceeded uh, together, or pieced together, um, Frank's final moments and believed he was robbed and stabbed by a drug dealer named Frank Gable. Although Gable was convicted, Frank's family believed Michael's death was related to his investigation into the prison system. One eyewitness said he was he saw multiple men running away from the crime scene in or on the night of his death, contradicting the Gable story. Oddly, uh, no paperwork detailing Frank's research was ever found, but Several eyewitnesses saw employees carry bags of shredded documents out of his office following his death. That, sir, is foul play. That just sounds like foul play to me. I think whoever was working at this Salem prison was in on all of, like, the drug trafficking there. And when we... They found out that um, this dude was going to convict a lot of people. They got scared and they killed him. See, mystery solved. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's, that's terrible to say. But, I don't know, it seems simple in my mind. Gable has thus far been unsuccessful in getting his appeals heard despite several witnesses coming forward to cite police coercion during interviews and recanting their statements that he was at the queen in 2016, a magistrate judge heard arguments of the new trial, the new trial including statements that descended or that deceased criminal John Krause made to relatives in which he confessed to killing Frank in a car burglary. I can't. 
talk now. What the frick? Car burglary gone wrong. So basically, he was in his car. Kraus decided to stab him. Kraus revealed several key details of the crime, including the fact that he punched Frank in the face during the confrontation. Frank had a bruise on his face, consistent with Kraus's description. Though Gable is still considered the perpetrator, both Frank's family and the team that Unsolved Mysteries consider Frank's untimely death an open case. Number 2. AWOL, 1993. Soldiers who flee military establishment, I'm sorry, enlistment without permission are known as being AWOL, absent without official leave. Um, Private uh, Justin Bergwinkle, okay, that's going to be hard to say, Um, didn't seem like a plausible candidate for stepping out on his responsibilities. He had worked hard and aspired to become an army ranger, which required specialized and intensive training at Ford Ord in Salinas, California. He uh, seemed committed to a career in the military, and then he began acting oddly around his girlfriend. And then while visiting her, he would abruptly tell her he had to leave in order to meet unnamed parties. When she pressed for details, he told her it was a secret hinting, only that it might involve arms smuggling. Okay. Um, while while she noticed uh, he carried a briefcase full of shredded paper... Once she answered the phone and was told to deliver Burkwinkle a message, the mission was being called off. After three years in service, Burkwinkle um, simply vanished. His car was recovered at a motel three months after his disappearance, with all of his belongings, including his wallet, keys, and ID, inside. Uh, so where... Uh, so were his uh, military-issued dog tags, uh, which he once told his girlfriend were useful in identifying the bodies of dead soldiers, adding, if you ever see these lying around, that means I'm dead. So, okay, he probably committed suicide. Or, he got suicided, meaning someone killed him because he knew of certain information that he wasn't allowed to know. Anyway, uh, Burkwinkle suffered from a mental illness. Others think uh, he was involved in illicit activity that might have gotten him killed. No one has seen or heard from Burkwinkle since June 12, 1993. Wow. Number three for abduction, 1991. Let's see here. Angela Hammond and her boyfriend, Rob Schaefer, um, lived in Clinton, Missouri, and likely didn't concern themselves uh, much with the possibility of being victimized by the same types of crime that plagued larger cities. But about... um, On April... I'm so sorry. But on April 4th, 1991... The worst case scenario came true. 
while phoning Rob from a payphone, 20-year-old Hammond remarked that a green Ford pickup had been circling the block. Hammond said a filthy bearded man had exited and was using the phone next to hers. They talked for a few minutes until Hammond screamed. Schaefer raced to his car and drove to the phones, which were just blocks away. He told the police uh, he passed the pickup driving away with Hammond screaming his name. Uh, He tried to give chase, but his transmission failed. And he watched helplessly as the truck which had a giant fish decal on the back window, disappeared into the night. Schaefer was initially considered a suspect, but was quickly cleared. Despite the telltale window sticker, police were unable to locate the vehicle or Hammond. They believed her disappearance might have been connected to two other women who were abducted and murdered within 100 miles of Clinton, but no one has ever been charged with the crimes. Oh my god. That one's sad. That one's really sad. Dreamy disappearance is number four. Oh my god, in my hometown. Good lord. Let's see, Cynthia Anderson worked as a legal secretary in (coughs) Ohio, sometimes passing the time in her office by uh, reading suspense or romance novels. In 1980, the 20-year-old told her mother that she had been having a recurring dream about allowing someone into her house who meant to harm her. At work, she received harassing phone calls to the point her employer's lawyers, uh, Jim Rabbit and Jay Feldstein, um, had an emergency buzzer installed at her desk. When Rabbit arrived at their office the morning of August 4th, 1981, they expected to find Anderson behind her desk. Instead, um... The front door was locked, and Anderson was nowhere to be found. The novel she had been reading was open to a passage uh, describing a violent abduction. Uh, Her car was still in the lot. I think I remember hearing about this one. Um, a A month later, a mysterious phone call came into the police headquarters. A woman insisted um, Anderson was being held in a basement, but wouldn't give any specifics. She um, called a second time to tell police the house was occupied, but never actually contacted them again. Some theorized Anderson may have heard incriminating conversations involving a drug dealer who became concerned and she knew too much. To date, um, no one has been charged in connection with her disappearance. That is crazy. Friends to the End, 1987. And just seeing, like, the thumbnail for the video. Heck no. Um, 1980s, Arkansas. A popular, albeit legal, illegal, sorry, activity among youth was spotlighting. A practice in which a hunter would freeze animals in their tracks by shining a flashlight in their eyes. While their partner fired a weapon. Um, 
that's what teenage friends uh, Don Henry, 16, and Kevin Ives, 17, set out to do uh, the evening of August 22nd, 1987, in the small town of Bryan, Arkansas, uh, near the train tracks that ran behind Henry's house. Uh, hours later, hang on, I got a text from my hubby. start dinner soon. Hours later, a conductor named Stefan Schroyer was (laughs) navigating uh, his train through the area when he noticed the teens laying motionless on the tracks. They were covered by a green tarp. Shocked, Schroyer tried to come to an emergency stop, but it was too late. The train ran directly over their bodies. A coroner, um, would later include okay um conclude that the boys were asleep on the tracks as a result of smoking 20 or more marijuana cigarette oh my god how do you get i've only tried weed once and it was disgusting i didn't like it i can't imagine Two teenage boys smoking 20 marijuana cigarettes in one sitting. Yo. That'll do it. A finding that both sets of parents rejected. Um, owning to public pressure, or owing to public pressure, um, the bodies were exhumed, so... Another autopsy could be conducted. The findings revealed that the boys had had one to three marijuana joints. Okay, that's a little better. And that one of them was dead and one unconscious before the train ran over them. Uh, that coupled with the fact that Henry appeared to be stabbed and Ives stuck with the butt of his own gun. Um led a grand jury to conclude that it was a double homicide. Jesus Christ. See, this is why I don't cover murder. It just, it just, ugh, I hate it. That's something that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I just can't do it. But, um, in 2018, the Ives family was still pursuing answers with the help of a private investigator. In a bizarre twist, former professional wrestler, uh, Billy Jack Haynes, Uh, claimed he was a witness in the case, he came forward to assert that um, at the time he was involved in drug trafficking in the area and had been called to the area to make sure a scheduled airdrop happened without incident. In 1988, a confidential informant told police the area the boys were in was used to drop drugs from uh, passing aircraft. According to uh, KATV, Hayes um, claimed he was present when an airdrop of cocaine uh, took place and the boys had witnessed the drop. I see. No loose ends, pretty much. Um, They also said that he helped lay the boys on the track 
uh, police have not yet commented on his claims. That's crazy. Tupac Shakur, 1996. I don't really know if I have have an opinion about this conspiracy theory, but um, it's definitely interesting. Um, Both Cosgrove and Muir have been unable to shake the puzzling details that led up to the murder of the 25-year-old rapper Tupac Shakur. Um, On September 7th, 1996, Shakur was in Las Vegas to watch Mike Tyson in a boxing match um, against Frank Bruno and was riding uh, with a rap mogul Marion uh, Suge um, Knight following the fight. Okay. Both men had run-ins with the law in their past and both flirted with danger in rap's criminal element. Earlier that night, the two reportedly got into a physical altercation with members of the Crips uh, street gang. Later, while uh, driving, the men stopped at an intersection. A white Cadillac pulled up and opened fire. Knight was grazed by a bullet, but Shakur was hit four times, twice in the chest and once in the arm and once in the thigh, and... Uh, was in bad shape. He died of his wounds six days later. Um, If, or of the many witnesses, many of them came forward. Uh, Yafu Fula, um, a backup singer for Shakur before uh, he could try to identify any suspects uh, to submit to further police questioning, Fula was gunned down uh, at his home in New Jersey. No one has ever been arrested in connection to Shakur's murder. Wow. Um, that one's a really well-known and famous one. I would like to believe that Shakur is still alive, though, because that's the conspiracy theory. Um, the Kecksburg UFO incident. See, now this is my cup of tea right here. Give me Bigfoot in... UFOs and um, government conspiracy theories like MKUltra and stuff like that. I can deal with that. Which is weird, because sometimes they can be even more violent than actual murder murder, but I am weird. Anyway, Steven Spielberg couldn't have scripted a better opening on the evening of December 9th, 1965. Thousands of eyewitnesses reported seeing a strange light appearing over parts of the northeastern United States and Canada. Citizens of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania saw it, too. But they also witnessed a lot of commotion coming from what looked to be a crash site. Uh, Local law enforcement uh, was said to have been quickly ordered out of the area by government officials who uh, crowded around an acorn-shaped his spacecraft. Wow. Um, embedded into the ground. Uh, reporters of the crash being a meteor or some kind of space debris uh, circulated, but UFO researchers have long insisted the incident was extraterrestrial in origin. Others believe that it was a spy satellite that the United States... Uh, wanted to dis disavow 
Um, neither NASA nor the Air Force has responded to civilian inquiries, but uh, what may or may not have um, landed in Kecksburg that night. One minute million is number eight. Um, okay. This one just kind of looks unsettling. I don't know if I want to... I don't want to read it. <laughs> On April 19th, um, 1989, um, an armored car in Eden Prairie, Minnesota was besieged by a gang of armed robbers who quickly and uh, effectively relieved from a one million, from one million, I'm sorry, quickly and efficiently relieved them of one million dollars in roughly 60 seconds. Um, while two stood guard with machine guns, a third put a fake bomb um, in on the hood to encourage cooperation. The explosive rig was similar to one used in a robbery in Baltimore um, three years earlier. A year after the Eden Prairie heist, they struck a third time. In each case, no one was able to follow in pursuit, and the thieves were never caught. The FBI believed they were far from com- common criminals. Their protocol was so precise and the authorities suspected that they might have uh, been heavily trained to ambush or attack scenarios. Um, let's see. In attack scenarios. I have to correct myself. Possibly as a result of earning or entering the military. Probably escape from Alcatraz number nine from 1962. Of the many notorious prison escapes of the 20th century, none proved as unbelievable as the three men who fled from the isolated Alcatraz located on the island of San Francisco's Bay on June 11, 1962. Anyone who could successfully um, navigate past their cells, armed guards, and fences would have been, would have had to swim miles to shore. Inmates Frank Morris and uh, Alan West hatched a plan to do exactly that, and enlisted brothers John and Clarence um, Anglin um, to come along with them. Uh, West had discovered that access to the outside was uh, possible if the prisoners pulled out the entire um, ventilation shaft under the sink and their cells rather or in their cells rather than trying to cut through the bars blocking the shaft um, by burrowing into the opening they could make their way behind the cell wall and up to the roof by using the plumbing to climb up after eight months of sur- surreptitious digging, the men, uh, minus West, who had trouble getting into the ventilation shaft, had created paths to the roof by, or they placed dummy heads uh, made from soap and concrete, plus hair swiped from their prison barber shop um, in their beds so that guards. Uh, wouldn't notice that they were gone. Once on the outside, they blew up a raft and 
they had made from raincoats causing a... Are you... I'm sorry. Mm-mm. My, my eyes are like, I'm done reading today. Uh, using raincoats, using a concertion, an instrument similar to an accordion. Oh my god! Then they uh, vanished. Wow, okay. Uh, the next morning, their bunks were discovered to be empty and authorities began a manhunt. The raft was found along with some personal effects, but no bodies were ever recovered. Um, the case was closed in 1979, but got renewed attention in early 2018 when it was uh, revealed a man claiming to be John Anglin had um, written to San Francisco Police Department in 2013 claiming to be alive, but it, uh, but in need of medical attention for a cancer diagnosis. Handwriting analysis and DNA testing on the letter were inconclusive. Um, if it's genuine, then perhaps so it's Anglin's claim that both his brother and Frank Morris made it to shore alive, living uh, decades as free men before Frank died in 2005, followed by his brother Clarence in 2008. <sighs> And number 10 is D.B. Cooper, um, 1971. Uh, year after year, snippets of the information continue to trickle um, out about D.B. Cooper, the alias of the man or woman who successfully hijacked a plane bound for Seattle in November 1971, um, the 24th of November. Cooper... Uh, who politely and calmly informed the stewardess that he had a bomb and uh, demanded $200,000 in cash when the plane landed, got his money and jumped out of the aircraft with a parachute. Though traces of his uh, ransom have been found and numerous people have told stories of people in their lives they suspect of being Cooper, Authorities have never been able to nail down a single suspect. In 2008, an amateur sleuth codebreaker named Rick Sherwood came forward to state that he had analyzed letters and believed to be that believed to be from Cooper and read the cryptography that indicated the criminal was identifying himself as Robert Rackshaw, a Vietnam veteran with parachuting experience. Um, one letter hinted that three separate military units uh, that Rexhaw belonged to. Uh, the FBI hasn't made a specific com comment on Sherwood's claim. Neither has uh, Rexhaw, who is still alive and is reportedly questioned by the FBI back in the 1970s. That's crazy. took me a while, but I found something interesting and very important. So, mom calls out is people use to sexualize toddlers 
and it needs to stop. The concerned mom took to Reddit to note that it's weird when people say, you better lock her up about her three-year-old daughter. Ah, that's gross. Every mom and dad has faced their fair share of feedback from family and friends, not to mention strangers, about anything from their personal parenting decisions to the way they choose to dress their little one. Um, these remarks can unwelcome, yeah, can unwelcome and irritating, sure, but occasionally, I think there was a typo, it should be can be unwelcoming and un, yeah, whatever. Um, they're welcome and complimentary, for instance, most people love to comment on how cute the child is. But little girls in particular are often the target of eyebrow-raising, sexualizing comments, um, as evidenced by parenting Redditor's recent rant. Writing under the um, handle Raiden, um, the mom shared, um, I have a three-year-old, and of course I think she's the cutest little kid in the world. Um, She has bright blue eyes and dark eyelashes, blonde hair, and chubby little cheeks. She noted that most of, um, or most of the time she hears comments like your daughter is adorable, cute, etc. To which she replies, aw thanks. Um, But she continued, but we also get a lot of people saying stuff like, you better lock her up, the boys will be chasing after her. Um, she's going to be so much trouble when she's a teenager. Like, could you not talk about my three-year-old like that? Um, the mom reflected, I have no idea what to say to people like that because most of the time it's in passing, like, while I'm trying to check out at the grocery store and in a rush. So I don't really feel like lecturing out of habit, I just do this awkward grimace and forced chuckle and try not to talk to them too much. She posed a question to the redditing or the parenting reddit, writing does it make you feel weird when people say stuff like that about your kids? Am I being oversensitive? What do you um, even reply to that within the 10 second span? Um, The post Uh, shared on Monday, July 15th, racked up uh, 1.5 thousand upvotes and almost 100 comments, with many parents um, commiserating uh, with the mom. Mm. Let's see here. Redditor. um, A Redditor wrote, I'm not even about to Big, it says Big Daddy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think it's very weird. My daughter is two and a half and biracial, and the comments I get are terrible. I also really hate when she's just playing, um, like opening her legs and dancing, and family members are like, she's starting early. I'm like, WTF, stop making things sexual about my child. Yeah, I beat 
I'd be very upset if someone said that to my kid. To be honest, if I had a daughter and it is most likely something like that would be said about my daughter to my face and I would have the hardest time not slapping them, but I would definitely go off because, my God, like the families are the worst, aren't they? Like 50 Shekel noted, um, my daughter is 10 now and we get this all the time. I usually just say something like she's 10, we're not concerned about that. Most people get the hint without having to call them creeps. Um, that said, the Redditor noted that in my experience, it's never meant as creepy. It seems more of a generational thing. Yeah. I would say that, you know, when I was a kid, I used to remember, you know, I remembered, like, people saying, oh, she's so adorable, she's gonna have to beat the boys off with a stick and all this stuff, and it's usually, like, the elderly people that are saying that, um, which, yeah, um, in their generation, like, the, the way that they were brought up, they probably didn't think that that was a big deal. I understand that, but there's nothing wrong with putting your boundaries up and saying, please don't say that about my kid, I'm not I'm not comfortable with you saying that about my kid. Uh, I had a problem like this with my kid's grandpa recently. Daughter is one and two other or two older brothers. Grandpa remarked, it's a good thing you have two older brothers to protect you when you get older because you're so pretty. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I'm a millennial, so I can understand why Grandpa would say something like that. But having a random old dude say the same thing about your daughter would be terrible. Um, I, I don't know. It is gross, I'm not gonna lie. It is something that should not be said. But I feel like it's just one of those absent-minded things that people just do because they think it's funny and cute to say when it really isn't. And like I said, older people, elderly people, are usually the people that are saying this stuff. And because of the way that, you know, they were brought up, the way they were raised, and the way they lived, and said things and all this stuff. They're stuck in their ways. They're gonna say stuff like this. Um, but her brothers are not her guardians. She will be raised to be a strong and independent woman. <laughs> Just like... Okay. Um, her looks will not get her in trouble either. Part of the response after my annoyance was mad apparent. I'm a dad. I have male and female children. They're all being taught consent, respect, independence. I hate... Um, this attitude where girls are in need of protection and parents need to watch out uh, for when she gets older. Like, Jesus, she is a freaking toddler still and you're, are you, why are you sexualizing her looks? It's gross. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that. I don't know what, what is it with grandparents or just old people 
I think that... To be honest, do I believe that elderly people can be pervs? Yes. Okay. Um, but an, another explanation for that is probably because... It, it's probably because um, elderly people are very sentimental, so they kind of look back on things. They look ahead and back on things more than regular adults do, um, especially parents, because I feel like the parents are more uh, in the present when they're protecting their kids and parenting their kids. They need to be present. So um, when it comes to like grandparents or elderly people making those comments, they probably are already making assumptions about how this child is going to end up because they're that sentimental, if that makes any sense. I'm not defending the action or defending, you know, the words that they say, of course not, but I do kind of trying to understand why anyone would say something like this. Um, that said, several commenters thought the original poster was overreacting. One of them wrote, I've thought the same thing about kids who were especially pretty attractive um, is a compliment. No one is saying that they're attracted to the child. People need to relax. See, yes and no. Um, just saying it, it's, it is kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy, I'm not going to lie. But I think it's because older people were so used to saying stuff like this that they still think it's okay to say now. Um, Let's see, one of them said, It's just an offhand comment people say because they want to say something. They aren't sexualizing my kids. It's just general stupid comment that they're using as a compliment. Um... They are way, there are way better things to be worked up about. Unfortunately, the pervasiveness of comments like the ones the original poster is calling out might be one, might be one reason some parents need um, them as benign. Uh, as a piece on Fatherly points out, um, you don't have to look much further than slogans on onesies to see cringe-worthy um, messaging like watch out or total heartbreaker. Yeah, um, there are a lot of subliminal messages targeted um, at children that attract pedophiles. So whenever you have a child, don't have like any crazy slogans or anything like that, because that actually attracts pedophiles. Um, America in general, the government in general, society in general, there are people out there that prey on children, and when they see stuff like that, it's basically advertising your child, whether you know it or not. Um, and it's done in a very... Uh, hidden in plain sight way in order for the predator to um, prey on your child as quietly as possible. Kind of like, think of it as like a lion um, preying like um, 
they're keeping low to the ground and they see their prey. At some point, they're going to end up kidnapping a child that is advertising itself even though they're not actually doing it. And the parents don't actually realize what's going on either because they think it's so cute. Same thing with these compliments that older people have for kids like this. It is something that I have a problem with. Like I said, I don't believe that every elderly person is a pedophile, but I do believe that um, comments like this should be shut down because who is in in the same room listening? You know, you never know. And yeah, no, I personally, if I was a mother, I don't think I'd be okay with these comments either. Um... But that is just something that um, is happening nowadays is that um, children are being more and more sexualized. There are celebrities um, that are starting to say that children are attractive and it is blatantly disgusting. It is something that should not be um, encouraged But it is something that has been happening for a very, very, very long time, especially in Hollywood. We've we've covered that before in some of the pedophiles. You know that some directors are pedophiles and they've victimized many, many children just to slake their own lusts. And it's gross, it's demeaning, and children need to be protected. And I understand why this mom flipped out. Most of us are trying to teach a message of beauty is only skin deep, Um, one of them wrote. Thankfully, if the majority opinion of Redditors who commented on this post is any indication, most parents are doing a darn good job of that. And clapping back at all manner of cringeworthy, unwelcome commentary directed at their little ones. Yes. I like that. Um, I like that I, I'm hearing that um, a lot of parents now are starting to get more protective over their kids because um, I haven't heard that in a very long time. Um, I've heard of many absent fathers, absent mothers, abusive parents and all this stuff, but hearing stuff like that is something that you know makes me realize, okay, there are parents that really do care about their kids. Of course, generally, there are a majority of parents that do care for their kids, have two parents in the home that raise these children right, and it's wonderful, and they're deflecting any cringe comments, which is amazing. Um, It's just, I kind of feel like I've just found a needle in a haystack reading that, because it's like, there are kids out there that are being cared for and being defended by their parents because that is very hard to look for, especially out in society now. Okay, along with the parenting... We have 10 ways to make your child feel loved. Say yes to snuggles. Aw, yes. 
I approve. Um, every single night, my son calls out from his room, Mommy, can uh, we have a snuggle? I say yes for two reasons, because I know one day he's going to stop asking, and because during the quiet, uh, at the end of the day, all I have to do is put my to-do list on hold for a few moments and be rewarded with insight into his thoughts and feelings, plus the knowledge that I am making him feel loved and secure. Aww. Wake her up with a smile. This sounds simple, right? But think about how wake-ups usually go in your house. In mine, they involve unsmiling and saying, Wake up, come on. Do you want to be late for school? Uh, the mornings where I take a moment to kiss a forehead and rub a cheek are always the best ones, though. Uh, starting a day off with smiles and laughter can um, set a happy and loving tone for the rest of the day and close the door on parent guilt sneaking up on mid-afternoon. Let him express himself. This is something that I've kind of... um never experienced in my life because I always was taught whether or not it was like unconsciously that my thoughts didn't matter like me expressing myself did not matter because what my parents said goes and it was always if I ever asked why it was because I said so or because I'm mom or I'm dad and that iron fist parenting it made me feel less than. Um, but um, something that I would love to do with my kids is sit and listen and understand that, you know, my kids have feelings and they have thoughts and they feel things and they hurt and they, you know, they're human too. And to be honest, sometimes they're little adults because they understand more as well. So part of showing a child true unconditional love means that parents or caregivers should space uh, or hold space for them to express themselves freely, says spiritual parenting expert Christine Marin. Um, You're probably more likely to be supportive um, of your child's self-expression when it's positive, but it's important to allow negative self-expression too. Resist the urge to immediately judge or correct when your child voices negative emotion. Instead, talk it out and be supportive and build a kind of trust that means the uh, means your child will naturally come to you when she needs a shoulder. Listen. As in, really listen without distraction to any stories they would like to share. Um, that's something that my parents didn't really do either. Either that or they would listen, but then they would find something off about whatever I was saying and punish me for it. I don't know. It was just a lot. (laughs) Um, too often I find myself half listening to something, someone of my or something one of my children is saying 
as I focus instead on making dinner, cleaning up, or even checking the mail. For shame. Um, look at me with your eyes, mommy, my daughter recently said when she was trying to tell me something and I wasn't truly present. Since then, I've made an effort to listen, often kneeling down so I can look with my eyes, and if I can't listen right that second, I tell her when I'm able to listen and I follow through. Learn their love language. See, this is something that um, is important because not every child is going to respond the same way um, to your love language. Like the kid's love language might be giving, like gift giving or, you know, something like that. So um, it's not always present in marriages between like a spouse um, and their partner. But it it's also, it goes along with like how your child responds to your love. So for example, even though you might feel very loved and cherished if your spouse's your spouse arrives home from work with flowers for you, someone else might feel loved when their spouse empties the dishwasher for her. Um, learn what it is, what it is that makes your child feel special instead of making assumptions about how he experiences and feels love. Mm-hmm. Be open. Children get a lot of their or what they're supposed to do, feel, and eat uh, dictated to them. Yeah, that's something that I went under to. Asking for their input makes them feel respected and empowered. Ask your child to be involved in the decisions you make as a family from uh, what to have for meals to what to do with your collective leisure time. Um, this doesn't mean giving your child the reins to com- reins completely, but it does mean um, taking feelings and preference into account. Yeah, I like that. The little things count too. Make his bed for him as a surprise, even though it's one of his daily jobs. Pack a note in her lunch. Make or take him out for an impromptu hot chocolate on the way home from school. Spell her name with berries uh, on her breakfast plate. That's so cute. Um, these little acts of kindness will make your child feel just as loved um, as you do when your spouse, a friend, or family member performs them for you. That is so cute. Spend one-on-one time with them, yes. Book a monthly date with um, each of your children. Aww! No, that's so sweet. Like having daddy-daughter dates and stuff like that. You know how important that is for a daughter to be loved? by her father go out on daddy daughter dates with them when they're young because that will actually empower a that child whenever she grows up to find a man just like her good father it kind of teaches her what kind of man she can allow in her life um helps her be strong enough to say no to certain 
men that mean her harm as well. Um, that's very important. And the same thing goes with, you know, the mother and son. You know, if um, you're able to spend time with your son, then you're basically setting a foundation for um, something that he'll use in the future on how to treat a woman and how he should feel a woman treats him. And that's very, very, very important. Um, this helps to deepen the bond and relationship with them, says Marin. It provides us with an opportunity to share our lives with them and find out what is happening in their worlds. It allows for larger uh, conversations and unfold or to unfold that might not occur during um, our day-to-day lives. So they might actually reveal secrets to you that they are probably dealing with, like a bully or something like that, um, when you have one-on-one time with them, and that's important as well. They also suggest letting your child decide what the date will entail um, within reason and making sure the dates are regularly scheduled so that even when life gets busy, your child will know her special time is coming up. Aww, keep your promises. And don't make promises you can't keep. Yeah, kids will remember that. They will remember that. Um, it is, yeah, yeah, that, that's something that you don't want to break. Because then it's like your child can't trust you. Um, just as making empty threats can damage your relationship, if you don't stop doing that, I'm making, or I'm taking all your toys away. Oh, that was something that, that was something in my household. (laughs) Or in my childhood. (laughs) So, uh, making empty promises, life happens, and some things can't be avoided, but uh, making promises we know can't, we can't keep in order to uh, placate a child will only foster feelings of mistrust and insignificance. Yeah. So before you make a promise, be fairly sure you can follow through, and if you have to break it, explain why. Ah, say it. Okay. A child can never hear the words, I love you too much. Aww. Say it before you say goodbye in the morning and when you tuck them in at night. Yes, but also say it when your child might not be expecting it, like when he's acting up or when she's feeling contrary. Um, During these times when you say, I love you, she'll hear, I love you anyway, even when you're not at your best. And this is something we all need to be assured of as often as possible um, because it's at the root of unconditional love. I like that. I liked that article. Okay, welcome our new renegade country, alright, Hungary. So we're going to find some news on Hungary and then that will be it.
folks. Okay, this art stuck out to me, so let's see here. Hungary allows entry of NATO forces and inter-NATO weapon shipments. NATO troops are now allowed to deploy into Western Hungary and weapons shipments have been permitted through the region to other NATO members' states. Um, according to a government decree uh, published on Monday, the transported military personnel and power um, directly between the Ukrainian and Hungarian border remains prohibited. Uh, NATO has made it clear that it will not intervene in the war between Ukraine and Russia, but it uh, has committed to defending its allies. Um, on February 25th, the organization activated its defense plans and began deploying elements of its response to force uh, with thousands of troops from the United States, Canada, and Europe moving to uh, the alliance's evermost borders, or east, easternmost borders, sorry. So, here's a video from NATO. I don't know if it's in Hungarian or not, but we're just going to play it anyways. Yesterday, NATO allies activated our defense plans. And as a result, we are deploying elements of the NATO response force, the United States, Canada, and European allies have deployed thousands of more troops to the eastern part of the alliance. We have over 100 jets at high alert operating in over 30 different locations. And over 120 ships from the high north to the Mediterranean, including three strike carrier groups. There must be no space for miscalculation or misunderstanding. We will do what it takes to protect and defend every ally and every inch of NATO territory. NATO forces allowed into Western Hungary. In line with his decision, Hungary, or with this decision, Hungary has submitted a government decree allowing for NATO forces to enter the western half of the country. Specifically, troops, vehicles, and weapons will be allowed into every con every county west of um, Danube. I hope I said that right. This deployment um, includes permission for um, training and military exercises to be conducted. The decree uh, published in the Hungarian government's gazette um, allows the measures adopted by the European Union February 28th allowing for assistance to Ukraine as well. The European Union under the European Peace Facility has decided to provide the Ukrainian armed forces with equipment and supplies both lethal and non-lethal worth a total of um, 500 million euros. Um, the new measurements also restrict Russian aircraft from 
flying over the territory of the European Union and prohibits um, transactions with the Russian Central Bank. Um, weapon shipments allowed to NATO allies. The third point of the decree addresses these measures, specifically the assistance package allowing for the indirect transport of military equipment to uh, that perf- that platforms um, intended to uh, deliver lethal force. The fourth point signif- or specifies that shipments of such um, description cannot pass directly from Hungary to Ukraine. Instead, they must be transferred from Hungary to another NATO ally from where they can enter Ukraine's territory. Non-lethal equipment, such as protective equipment, medical equipment, and fuel, are allowed to pass directly through Hungary's borders to Ukraine. Okay. Thank you all for listening. See you in the trenches next time.